Hello, dear travelers. Uh, this is Noah Simes. I am an actor here at the Penumbra Podcast. We are coming to you in the off-season with a little Q&A. Um, I'm sitting here with the illustrious creators of the podcast. Um, I'm Sophie Kaner, co-creator, co-producer, director, sound designer, and sometime actor, although trying to move away from that as much as I can. <laughs> Uh, and I'm Kevin Vibert, uh, lead writer, recording engineer, co-producer, co-creator, um, occasional rabbit. That's true. Occasional yeah. rabbit. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So um, uh, we wanted to uh, answer some of your questions, travelers, in the off-season here while we rest and recuperate after the uh, onslaught of emotions that was <laughs> season one. Um, and so uh, we have collected several of your questions from Tumblr and email and Twitter, and uh, we have picked out some of those to talk about today. And um, so thank you for sending them in. So uh, we'll start from a, from a, a sort of origin story standpoint. Uh, what films, books, shows, or authors inspired uh, the world of the penumbra, the world, the story, the characters. The Twilight Zone. <laughs> yes. That was like our whole first concept for the show, which it, it's probably pretty obvious that we've diverged from that pretty far at this point um, because originally the show was meant to be much more of an anthology and each episode was going to be standalone. Right, which um, is particularly evident, I think, in uh, Shaken and Home. Right, and... and Right, Shaken and Home were the first two that we wrote, even though we didn't release them in that order. And we sort of thought it was going to be horror stories, mostly, to begin with. And then we were like, oh, let's not hold ourselves to that. You know, how can we broaden this? And what we came to was, all right, well, our story's going to be sort of either spooky or a bummer, um, which for <laughs> a time right. was our motto. And we haven't quite stuck to it, but we have a lot of bummers in there for we're, sure. Yeah, we're, right. we're good at the bummer stuff. Right? <laughs> yes. Um, we're, now then, we're really more bummer or a big bummer. <laughs> <laughs> um, with an occasional spoop. Um, but also, of course, there's like the concierge who is like that Rod Serling mm -hmm. figure, you know, who you don't really know much about and there's no real explanation for him, but he guides you through the stories. So we've maintained that. Um, and that's kind of where the structure, I think, came from. Um, and then if we talk about, so I mean, Juno is the long running series. Um, I'm inspired by Sherlock. I especially was to begin, I think maybe less and less so as... Um, as we continued with it. Um, sound design and character design-wise, I personally am really inspired by Mad Men, which is one of my favorite mm -hmm. shows. Mm -hmm. um, and... Oh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Yes. Which, I mean, is a kind of funny thing to reference because yeah. it is itself so referential. Like, the whole point All of right. it... It's, it's its own noir parody. Right. It's, it's a noir story that is a noir parody, and so it's a little bit silly to use that as a reference point, but it's one of our favorite movies. Right. Um, and a big inspiration for sure. Right. I think for me it was a lot of um, like I've <laughs> I've I've been thinking about it and kind of going back through as I'm thinking about the the noir stories that really inspired me. And I think for me a lot of it has been reading a lot of noir stories and liking a few of them like a lot, like mm. a whole lot. Like the the book The Maltese Falcon is one of my favorite books. Mm. Period. There's a, a type of action and a type of suspense that I really think it does well. Mm -hmm. And and that I would like to do. So part of the reason that I like Who Framed Roger Rabbit as an analog is that it is uh, like the perfect noir story. It hits all of the beats to the point where it's even about like a real estate crisis in California. Right. Uh, right. Does That's all that classic. stuff, but it does it in a super engaging, gripping way, which is like always in my mind about the show, I think. Yeah. And don't forget another one of your big inspirations the manual detection? No, that uh, isn't even what I was going to say, although that is a great book. Um, Freaking Phoenix Wright. Yes, Phoenix Wright, absolutely. <laughs> uh, I but I thought about that a lot, especially around... So um, just because I'm an idiot, will you tell me what Phoenix yeah, Wright is? It's a series of uh, of games where you basically play as a defense attorney. It's like a visual novel. Yeah, visual novel. Yeah. Which is game. why I'll put up with it. Yeah. <laughs> because like I really have not got the patience for most video games, unless right. they're really story heavy. Right. And this is like you sort of play your way through a case. Right. But and even with those, like you know, they're they're goofy, they're silly, and they're they're very cartoony. And the thing that they're really good at that I've been more and more inspired by lately is that man, those cases, those those games know how to set up a mystery 
in a really, really gripping way. Yes, they do. And then just bring you on the roller coaster. So that even more so than just solving it, it's about like kind of feeling the excitement every step of the way. Yeah. Something that I've really appreciated about the Juno stories is um, how uh, certain episodes have sort of had their own uh, sort of genre influence or, or yes, you know, like, and I know true. you've, you've told me off microphone that, um, you know, for day that wouldn't die, uh, Stephen King's it. Right. Right. And it's just, it's just straight modeled on that. Right. And, 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 and train yeah. to nowhere was very based on bond films. Yes. That's a joke. Um, train from nowhere. Please be respectful. Was it, was that a name change? Was it ever trained to nowhere? Uh, we waffled back and forth for a while. Okay. For sure. So I'm yeah. not crazy. No, you're not right. crazy. <laughs> I'm, just in, I'm just stuck in the past. <laughs> um, yeah, no, that's a, that's James Bond. Um, and I mean, it's hard to say with Angel of Brahma because that was sort of so. Much. Oh well, it ended. Angel of Brahma ended up being Star Wars, really. Right. Like right. by the time right. all was said and done. But Kevin and I also know that we went through. What did you say? Twenty-two drafts. No, so it's because at some point it was Oliver it, Twist. It was said. Oliver yes. Twist. It was Wicked. Right. It was four completely it, different versions of yeah, the backstory. It was Batman. Yeah. yeah. It was like as many things. It ended up being Star Wars, I think. Um, hmm. But oh, oh, and um, but another thing we talked about for like the in Angel of Brahma and Resting Place, like I guess more Angel of Brahma, the part where they're like sort of trapped with miasma we were thinking dracula like yeah when um like just like being in the monster's stronghold and like mm. hanging out with them a lot <laughs> um yeah. so yes we're like taking the noir thing putting it on mars um and then <laughs> and then layering another and then it. interpreting other genres through mm. that um so there is a lot on our plates um should we probably address other things than juno yeah while we're here yeah. what mm -hmm. about uh second citadel I, a lot of what we talked about is more visual, yes, which is kind of funny. Um, I thought Pirates of the Caribbean for a while because mm -hmm. um, it's sort of it's like fantasy, quote unquote, period, but like not a real, not really a real yeah. time. Um, and it's, but it's also very um, anachronistic, very modern, and very mm -hmm. like goofy, silly, action packed. Um, and you know, there's battles and stuff, but you don't worry too much about what's going to happen to the characters. Yeah. It has that lightness about it. In, ter in terms of, I'm sorry, in terms of the, the monster, the Janus beast, but also other monsters that we've been talking about in secret since uh, my biggest analog is always, uh, like labyrinth or, uh, mm. the dark crystal or other mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. Jim Henson fantasy. Right. Because it's yeah, it's Muppety or Google stop motion -y Right, or, there's yeah. a, a sort of goofy grotesqueness. Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Scary, but, but scary not via ultimately grotesque that, goofiness. That yeah. threatening, yeah. yeah, yeah. And um, well, we talked a little bit about Home and Shaken being very Twilight Zoney. Although, well, Shaken is meant to be pretty Twilight Zoney. Right. Home is meant to be more kind of Spielberg. Spielberg. -y. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. the whole like you know, as even just the trope where like the parents come home. And, and then it's kind of all okay. the trouble disappears. <laughs> um, and then, the I mean, of the planet. yeah, okay, it's it's western, but it's a, but it's uh, but remember when we talked about it, uh, that's it doesn't actually follow the tropey rules of a western. It's actually a swashbuckler, right? Mm. Um, because a western is all about like slow, tense moments, and Coyote's not that. Coyote is the hero, like swings in, breaks a window, uh, like swoo you know swoops in and grabs the you know whoever needs to be saved, and then rides off in the sunset. Yeah. Um, so even when we were talking about Coyote, we, were, we had that in mind. That's true. Yeah. One of the things that I think actually works really well is that very often we completely disagree or just come from different angles yeah, um, in terms of our inspirations. Yeah. And you get what you get. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and you don't get upset. <laughs> <laughs> or you do. Or you we're do. not here to tell you how to feel. No, we're not. Um, next question. How do you plan out the mysteries that Juno solves? Do you have a, a process for staking those out, for creating those? Kevin will sometimes, like, really crystallize, like, after a lot of thought, will really crystallize a method for doing something. And he has fairly recently figured out what our approach is. Um, and you can expand on this because it's totally your idea. Um, and I think 
for you, this might be a little bit inspired by Phoenix Wright again. Yes, But um, the whole, like, what we've sort of come to with mysteries is let's start with an impossible thing, an impossible um, situation, basically, Mm -hmm. like that someone Mm -hmm. could come upon uh, and then figure out how it could have happened, which is sort of funny because you would expect that with a mystery, like, as the writer, you would start from the inside and work your way out. But it seems to work much more successfully when we actually start on right. the outside. And uh, one of the reasons that works really well is I, it's very important to me to give the audience a hook right away. Kind of like an immediate sales pitch for like, hey, if you stick around, this is what you're going to find out about, right? right? So that's part of the reason I think the first story where I really had that figured out uh, was pretty late in the game. It was Train From Nowhere. Uh, <laughs> where like the, like the very first thing that happens in Train From Nowhere is you see this impossible train. It cannot be boarded. It's moving too fast to see. And then Nureyev just says, hey, we're going to catch that train. Uh, and it's this very exciting, yeah. like, how? Yeah, and then right. we were like, uh, but how? how? <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> and we had to figure it out. Cool. Uh, if you could talk a little bit about how you cast the voices of the characters, um, you know, did you have ideas in mind about how you wanted the characters to sound or... Uh, were there specific people as you were writing that you had in mind for things, or did you sort of write and then let the actors' voices inform what they sounded like? What was that process like? So um, part of how this has worked, interestingly, is that like each episode kind of serves as an audition <laughs> for what's to come <laughs> because then you learn about or I learn, I mean, I, I cast it. <laughs> um, I, I learn about, um, you know, what the actors have to offer, and it might not always be what I expect. Um, so, like, starting from the very beginning, the first thing we did was Shaken, was Shaken and, um, you know, we didn't know it was going to be a thing. We were just going to do this for fun. So I was like, oh, I'm going to play the lean character. Is that what you sounded like back Yeah, then? and I Incredible went on to... Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, this voice that I have now is learned. <laughs> uh, this was the best I could muster up. <laughs> um, yeah, so I was just like, okay, well, you know, we'll, we'll write a little play and I'm going to play the lead character. Um, and then I'll ask my friends to be the other ones. Um, and that started to give me a sense of what the people that I asked could do, which is how I then moved forward. And of course I had some experience with, you know, other roles that you guys have played on stage, but it's very different just voice acting. Like you don't realize how much the way somebody looks influences you, um, and how much you don't, you don't necessarily realize how versatile somebody is until you just hear them talk. A great example here to nobody's surprise is Kate Jones, um, who, you know, I'd seen on stage a million times, but I didn't realize until we started working on this how unbelievably versatile her voice is. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just crazy, right? The fact that she can play both Rita and Miasma. Yeah. And a lot of people don't even realize that if they don't stick around to hear the credits, because you can't you can't yeah. hear any resemblance. I mean, it's well, unbelievable. And, and she's... She, she she does even a small uh, at least a small part in every episode, right? Yes, I think to so, date she is in every single episode. She is the only yeah. person who's been in every single episode. So listen closely and see so, if you yeah. can catch Scavenger her. Hunt. That's a pretty fun Easter egg is to find Kate Jones in every episode. <laughs> um, that is very important to her <laughs> <laughs> being in every episode. Um, yeah, so that, that's one thing. Um, also something that I have learned, which I think is kind of interesting, that differs from stage acting, is that just someone being nice to listen to is a huge consideration in a way that it isn't really mm-hmm. on stage mm-hmm. because you have other stuff to distract yourself with. <laughs> and frankly, that, um, that has a lot to do with why Joshua plays... Um, Juno, who does so much of the talking, because he has a really nice voice to listen to. And you had to take that into account, um, which I, I think is kind of an interesting thing, because on stage, it, it just wouldn't be as much of a consideration. Um, so I do, I do weigh that in a little bit um, when I cast as well, and when I look for people like who just has a, a voice that is pleasing to hear. Were there any instances where you created a role and then cast somebody in it and then ha- having cast that person informed 
you oh, know, oh my so goodness, much. this is not what I thought it was, or there's this huge aspect of this character that we didn't realize, or... So my actually my version of the answer to this entire question is very different for Sophie's because I don't do any of the casting. <laughs> but for me, like to this date, almost none of the actors sound like the way the characters sound in my head when I'm writing the scripts. And that's, that's pretty weird. That's not that's not against the actors. That's because I spend all my time with the words on the page. Right. Whereas Sophie spends all of her time Listen, with the sounds, right? Um but the thing is that the more I listen to the actors, the easier it makes it for me to write the mm. actual characters, mm-hmm. right? Uh, I actually, I, I hold very dear uh, that distance between the way the actors sound and the way the characters sound so that it's like I've got two voices for each character that I can pull on when I mm. need to, right? Mm. Uh, we, we joke sometimes about the fact that there are some lines that I write f- that for certain characters that are really just for their actors. It's because <laughs> it's things that I've heard those actors say before that in like just in everyday life that I would love to hear them say in this context Joshua gets a lot of those. Uh, Kate gets a lot of those. Yes. Right? Um, and it's very, very useful for me to be able to pull on both of those where uh, it's, it's just there are, there are sort of two slightly different ways that each of the characters talk that I think makes them sound ultimately more dynamic yeah. on the actual mm-hmm. page. Mm-hmm. And, and, of course, like the recurring char- characters are so heavily influenced by the actors. Yes. You know, like in, in terms of how we then go on to write them. Um you know, because like you and I think pe- other people have pointed this out that you have almost like a period tone. Yeah. You know, it's like old, old, a little old fashioned yeah. sounding. Um, and I think that's a big influence. And also um, <laughs> you sound very intellectual, which is also <laughs> a big influence, I think. And that heavily comes out in Narev for sure. Um, and then and and. <laughs> And a lot of, like, I think a lot of Juno's awkwardness, you know, comes from, from <laughs> Joshua. And, like, I mean that in, a, in the most loving way. But, like, you know, and, and, and I think that's a lot of what makes Juno so unbelievably endearing, mm-hmm. really. Um, but that wasn't, that wasn't there when we started writing him, <laughs> you know? Like, that was something <laughs> no, he true. brought to the character. That. And, and... It's so valuable. I mean, come on, yeah. we wouldn't love Juno if you weren't like that. Right, you right. Know. For me, even if they don't, in, even if the actors don't directly inject a sound into my brain, they definitely inject a spirit. Mm-hmm. Right. There's a there's a way that hearing sort of the cadences that actors have makes me understand better how the characters actually speak. Yeah. It's it's amazing that that give and take is such a beautiful thing. Yeah. Yeah. Were there in the early days, were there characters that you, when you were writing them, you knew, I want, and I know that there is a bit of a, a, a division of labor here, so I know, right, while Kevin was writing them, Sophie, did you have, <laughs> were there characters where the writing of the character was influenced before you even heard by who you Because knew gonna, I knew yeah. that we were going to cast somebody? Uh, Sir Mark, I'll, I'll jump right oh. in there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Well, we knew right. that Stefano was going to... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because, sure, like, Sir Mark is heavily influenced by Stefano. Sir Mark's original, like, in the earliest versions of the draft, his original speaking patterns were much more in line with, like, Nereev. They, mm. they were they were very kind of... Uh, or no, not even Nereev, more like Rex Glass, right? They were they were very, like, flowery and, and like... Vaguely swashbuckly. Vaguely swashbuckly, kind of yeah. poetic. Yeah. And he, it ended up because instead... Because yeah. he was supposed to be, like, very... Not that this is gone, but he was supposed to be very Cyrano. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, that's not Stefano. <laughs> and instead he... But it, it that is actually a case where I specifically love when there is that disagreement. Yes. Because it creates a middle ground character that is much more nuanced than yeah. the broad outline cartoon characters that I start off with. Yeah, and Stefano has like a whole different kind of charm, you know, which mm-hmm. which I think we really drew upon for mm-hmm. Sir Mark. Yeah, that's a good one. Cool. Hey, uh, Sophie and Noah. Yeah, yes. what's up? Uh, what's Thank you for <laughs> inviting us to this. <laughs> yeah. yeah, please take a seat. <laughs> what's it like playing characters who are in love? One really funny and horrible thing about it is that we're all, like, best friends. <laughs> so it's, you know, just mortifying <laughs> on one level. Um, but, okay, one thing I will say about it, um, which applies for me 
almost more to stage acting, but um, certainly for voice acting as well. Um, and I, I think that when you're an artist of any kind, you have a part of your brain that's always turned on as always looking for material. Um, and I'm 100% certain that Kevin can speak to this as a writer, you know, that when you're a writer, you're always like looking for things in the world, like, oh, I can use that as a character. I can use that as a setting, whatever. If you're a visual artist, you know, you see things out in the world. You're like, oh, I want to, you know, paint that or sculpt that. Um, and if you're an actor, um, or at least for me, I feel like there's an actor part of my brain that's always turned on and, um, I'm logging material that I might use later when I'm acting. Um, and so like as a person in a relationship, I, there's a part of my brain that's on and I'm like, oh, this is how I interact with a person that I'm in love with. Um, and this is how my voice sounds. And, you know, in terms of stage acting, like this is how I physically interact with them. Um, and then I heavily draw on that, um, when I'm acting a role. Um, so it, it, for me, I pretty directly draw on life experience. Was there anything, uh, specifically in recording Coyote that, um, was different than other times you've had to do this on stage or... Um, was different because of playing opposite Kate or any, anything specific to this episode? Well, well, I mean, one thing that was different was I don't think that I've ever gotten to play opposite a woman oh. before, which yeah. is really wonderful. Um, so I'm really glad that I gave myself that opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> I know. You lucky duck. I, I just lucked right into that one. Um, and that's kind of lovely. Well, okay. I mean, you know, just to get into this, like typically the way you get to play in love as a woman usually is different than the way men get to play that, right? Because mm-hmm. most of the roles we get are, are pretty heteronormative, right? I'm certain yes. you can oh, speak yeah. to this as yeah. well. Um, and so like playing a character who's a lesbian and who's also genderqueer, like it was really, really cool. Um, to get to play another side of that and not to be playing in love in this sort of like demure way, but in a way of like, yeah, I'm going to sweep you off your feet. Like that was very cool. Um, So I think that was one special thing about it. I mean, as Sophie says, there is this on this particular podcast, there is this like, you know, base level of just, we know each other really well. Like (laughs) I, Joshua and I were roommates in college <laughs> for a year, like, right. um, uh, which you know can help or hinder depending <laughs> on, <laughs> on your take or any given day. Um, but I don't know. I I am a. Ve- I mean, in general, as an actor, I'm a very sort of outside-in actor. I am not in a Sorry, that was unclear. Not in, like, a method way. Like, I'm not, like, I have to experience the thing to act the thing. But, like, I don't necessarily feel that I have to be internally experiencing an emotion in order to portray it. Sure. Um, I, you know, I think I can sort of call upon the sort of signs and symbols of the thing I'm trying to portray. And if I do it well enough, then it's convincing. Um, In terms of making it believable, I think, I don't know. I think, you know, it's funny with voice acting too, because, you know, you don't, you've lost a whole, right. You don't get all of the physical, like, Oh, like I see how this is going because like, we're standing really close and like, you know, we're standing at microphones (laughs) And I'm sort of like right. looking out the corner of my eye at Joshua right. because, you know, I have to face the microphone right, right, still. Right. Um, Do you want to touch a little bit on um, getting to play a gay character? Which yeah, you also don't really no, probably right. get to do very often. Honestly, it's easier. That's interesting based on all of the other stuff that you're saying, you know, about it being outside in and not needing oh, to like totally you know no. that's kind right of and that's it's absolutely true because it, it, i think it's more about like you know roadblocks in my head is like mm-hmm. you know when i'm playing opposite a woman there's always a part of me that it's like as if <laughs> <laughs> but yeah no i mean no but in all seriousness i mean there's a part of me 
I mean, there's there's always a part of me that's going, okay, is this working? Like in any context, sure. as an actor, right? <laughs> you know, um, which depending on who you ask, is perfectly natural, or is why I'll never be great. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> but like. You know, there's always a part of me that is going, you know, is this working? Did I, did that motion look weird? Does, you know, and so similarly, like, you know, is this convincing? Do, is, you right. know, and, and then there's a part of me that's like, yeah, that is going, <laughs> did they think I'm in love with a woman? <laughs> is that, oh, I don't that's even know, so you know, funny. like, yeah, like, yeah, I just, you know, and you know, I just, I don't know how can be, you know, and it's funny because like it. This wasn't a concern. I, I, I was acting before I came out. Right. Like, it wasn't, I didn't think about it that way then. Right. Like, but now I've got this whole, like, ex- so it must be pretty much psychological because um, I wasn't worried about it then and I was right. fine. Um, but yeah, but like, but just removing that obstacle of That's like, interesting. of like, does anyone believe this? <laughs> <laughs> like, are they. I mean, that's just, it's so fascinating because, um, you know, it's not like, it's not like anyone has ever said like, all right, well, you can only act opposite this person if you're literally in love with them, <laughs> you know, right? right? Like, right. so it's kind right, of right. nuts. Like what would their gender, like even whether that matches up with your sexuality or not, like how could that matter? And yet like there, it seems to be relevant in some way. Yeah. I, I find that it is. Yeah. yeah. My question is at this point, so you're talking about signs and symbols of like being yeah. love, right? Yeah. I uh, I'm wondering if because now it's it's weird because it's technically the same character, but we have Rex Glass mm-hmm. and Peter Nureyev mm-hmm. both acting love, right? And it's it's don't forget about Duke Rose and Duke Rose, <laughs> but Duke Rose is acting like you know matrimonial right domesticity. Yeah, <laughs> what he's acting. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. So my question is, are the signs the same in all cases, or even for that specific hmm. character, right? The two the two faces of this character. Yeah, I mean, for what it's worth, I felt like when it was Rex, I felt like at least until the very end, I was playing sex more than love. Mm. You know, like that's like true. he was he was one big Man, come on. He's, you know, whew, yeah. Um, <laughs> um, so so yeah, there was less sort of less at stake. There was less uh, less to tether to there. Um, which was fine. I mean, that was great. It was fun. Um, Nureyev, Kwa Nureyev is sort of, um, I mean, yeah, it's very different because there is that genuine feeling um, that I think, you know, I think creeps up for him mm-hmm. as glass. Yes. But, um, but it's, there's an extra layer there that, you know, so it's not really displayed mm-hmm. as much. Um and so, the, and there's right, and so there's a certain level of Rex Glass who is, you know, sort of flinging sex against <laughs> the wall that oh. is Juno. <laughs> Love that, don't you? That was a good metaphor. Well, you know um, what? Juno loves it, yeah. so um, whatever works. And sort of seeing what sticks, you know. Oh God! Oh, sorry, <laughs> someone get a mop. Oh, no, um, I wish this hadn't happened. <laughs> Let's all go. Home. Do you know what I mean, though? Like, like, yes, yes, like yes. he's just sort of like being like, you know, innuendo, like in his face, and and like being like, did it work? That's did hot. it work? That's hot. Did it work? <laughs> um, and then, like, by the time he comes back, he's like, okay, so, like, I know what works. <laughs> like, I mean, like, he's like, yeah, I, I, I can be a little more laser-focused. You know. Oh, my God, that's yeah. so funny. <laughs> All right. Um, oh, how did you come up with characters' names? Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah, that is fun. Um, I think that... People may have already guessed that at least initially um, with like the first set of names that we came up with, Juno Steele, Rex Glass, Sasha Wire. <laughs> we were like, here's some like things. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not kidding. We made a Wait, list of I did objects. Not even, yes, <laughs> put that together. So actually, I, I love the story of how we came about the name yeah. Juno Steele specifically, oh, yes. which is that, so I literally just had a list. I just made a list of objects that sounded like they would fit in a science fiction setting. 
yeah. which is why at one point I think Juno uh, like obliquely references that Wire apprehended a gangster named Boris Chorus Yablinski because Kor was like one of the last names that could have been oh my God. Juno Steele's last oh my name. God. Just a list of things. Yeah, we just listed objects and then. <clears throat> For him, we wanted to go mythological. We did, I, yeah, because we're, you know... Jerks, dorks. Mythology geeks, yeah. Jerks, um, dorks. Yeah, and then... So we, like, listed a bunch of things, but but it wasn't... But we weren't deciding, like, this main character, this one guy, what are we going to name him? We were, like, tossing around options for a whole right. bunch of names, and Juno was on the list. We actually blew past Juno and came back to it, like, ten minutes later. Yeah, and then we were, like... And then I was like, oh, man, Juno Steel sounds really cool, and then we were like, well, but that's that's technically a goddess's name and then we were like wait but that's great though what else was i gonna say oh i know what it was it was i only recently realized that the reason that particular one felt so good to me the thing that i have had in my mind this whole time was artemis fowl like that's the other thing i've been thinking which i always have thought was such a great name like i love that he's just this boy with a goddess's name and he's like yeah like suck it you know Um, and, and I, so I think that was, had always rung a bell with me somewhere, somewhere Mm. in there. Um, yeah. And then, so we, we do a lot, I think we do a lot of, we try to spread things out as far as parts of the world that we draw on. And I guess, I guess nowadays what we do in, in terms of our system, whenever we're making a new character is first off we just see if there are there still any just good sci-fi words that have not been overused yet uh and then also like a lot of what i think about so uh, sometimes i will make like a big list of names for a character we have talked about uh and then just like rapid fire pitch them uh to sophie uh and then they all go down in flames and then i make a new list right whichever one i don't <laughs> say that's dumb yeah <laughs> then we go with that one but like so in, v- very often for surnames or first names i will think of like okay what what is a, a part of the world that like they're you know tr- the the names traditionally from there we have not you know done yet or we haven't done in a while mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. Uh, I think the the best fastest way of like looking at that in action is uh, uh, Nerev references obliquely another thief who had the Ruby Seven once named Jet Sekuliak, uh where Jet is just I thought think that's a cool sci-fi cool. word that I yeah. wanted as a first name for a while. And then Sekuliak, I did some research, and I believe... It's Inuit? I think it's Inuit, Inuit. yeah. Um, and also, like, sometimes we will take a name from a place and then mutate it a little bit uh, to, like, to create exactly, like, the sound that we want or something like that. Yeah, so it, it uh, some, something to do with aesthetics, something to do with, you know, making sure that we draw on different parts of the world and different myth sets a lot of times. Yes. Um, yeah, I just, yeah, it just sounds cool, like... Yeah, cool. Um, all right, so we're gonna we're gonna dive now into some more uh, more specific questions about some in world stuff. Um, will we see Nereev in season two? Oh, are people invested in? I don't. I. Oh, I figured. No I one certainly would hope so. <laughs> Wait, who? Who's who? Who's yeah, that? we don't know why anyone would be. Um, okay, next question. <laughs> um, okay, well, we're not going to answer that, but something right. I will say is that um, you will see Noah Symes again. <laughs> you will hear from Noah Symes again. <laughs> You're not fired. I, just, I was waiting for um, confirmation. No, you know what else I will say? Um, I I cannot say whether he whether Nuraya will be back, but we will hear from him again. Mm in at least some form, um, which relates to some upcoming things that we have that we haven't talked about yet. So I'm just going to tease that. Secret but plans. He, he, will, he will in some way appear. Okay. So you have not seen the last of him. That I can't tell you for now whether he will be back, but All right. that's what I got. Fair enough. Um, where did the idea for Rangian Street Poker come from? There are so many drafts of that card game. <laughs> that card game nearly murdered me yeah. several times. Uh, but ultimately, the set of rules came about because, you know, high stakes card games in Bond stories, what's at stake is always either vague or it's, you know, political or it's communicated through, like, eye contact and, like, very minute 
uh, sort of uh, little interactions because they're trading money, but the money means more than that. We did not have space or you know the abilities or, or sight or anything like that to communicate that. So my question that I asked myself when I kind of sat down to make this game was ultimately what they need to get out of each other is secrets, is facts. So what we need to do is we need to make that subtext text. We need to make it so that what is being implied mm. in that card game is literally what's at stake, right? Mm -hmm. We're actually betting secrets. Yeah. Exactly. So it needs to be a case of verbally betting secrets because you can't do it in terms of like how people are looking at one another right. and things like that. And then all the rest of it is just gags about extremely arcane card games. Yes. Really. Um, and as right. I think we've said before, I feel like we said this in the commentary that you and I did, Noah, that Juno's reaction to it is just my reaction right. to arcane games. <laughs> like, this is just stupid, and I shan't put up with it. <laughs> yes. Kevin has much more patience for arcane games than yep. I do. So, uh, yes. Truth <laughs> in art. Um, a, a, a clarifying question. Mm. Um what precisely happened to Juno's eye? <laughs> is it uh, is it still there? Is it gone or is it still there and just not functioning? Ooh. It's not there. It's not functional. It's not in his head. The tumor is gone. Everything is gone. <laughs> like right. Starting from square <laughs> yeah, one. Yeah, there's nothing there. He got the poison out yeah. and the poison was his yeah. eye. So, there, I mean, I think we can go ahead and say there's not going to be like you know, tumory, tumorous repercussions. No. You know, it's not there anymore. It's just he doesn't have an eye. If that helps. Um, so we have some, uh, some sort of world building questions here. Okay. Um, are we ever going to have non-human characters in the Juno universe? Uh, either aliens or AIs or other fabricated boy kevin's been lobbying for robots since, <laughs> since day one since literally in my my original conception which i'm very glad we didn't do so don't take this as i've been you know put down uh my original conception was that like the whoever was going to be in the prince of mars position was going to be juno's old buddy who is a robot yeah very no. glad we didn't go that way for the record i've been and i've been pushing back on robots this whole time because i'm concerned about it opening up a whole can of worms in terms of rights you know and like where do robots come from and how are they produced and like a whole lot of things which have been addressed in a million different ways in a million different sci-fi stories I'm not ruling it out, right? You know, but like I'm, I'm personally not there yet, so I can't say as far as that. I also same same deal with AI. You know, it's like the, it opens up a whole new can of worms with you know their rights and whatever and how they fit into society and are they enslaved or are they like people? I don't know. Um, and and we have to. I want to be very thoughtful about how we would approach such a thing. I think as far as aliens, like. Yeah, I, th I think that for all of these, kind of including the aliens, actually, like, if, if you look at, at the first season, in order to just get through the ancient Martians, right, the, the idea that there were aliens, we had to devote a season to it, right? Yeah, so I don't... So I don't think we're going to drop anything in carelessly. Um, what I'll say is, in the state of the world right now, I don't think humans have discovered any other aliens. Yeah, it's we have more of a situation where humans have just spread throughout you know, the galaxy and, and populated, and they haven't really encountered any living aliens. All right. Someone wants to know, is there any way that we uh, plebeians can listen to the music used on the show? Yes. Yeah. Um, and I guess this is semi an announcement um, because we will be releasing the soundtrack for the show. Um, we don't have a set date yet, so we'll be making like a real announcement about it. Um, but so, I mean, there's, there's original music that Ryan Vibert writes for the show and that's what we're going to be releasing. There's also other music that is used for the show that is free and can be accessed. And that's all the links to all that stuff is in the show notes of any given episode. So if anyone, you know, likes the music that plays in the Vixen Valley, whatever, like you can just look that up. Um, but yeah, Ryan Vibert's music, we're going to be putting out an album um, yes, in the coming months. Yes, it have nine tracks from across our season. Uh, the one thing that I'll, I'll say about that too uh, is if you have enjoyed his music, you want to show him uh, that you've enjoyed it and you want to support him, uh, he has a band that has a couple of uh, albums up 
on Bandcamp. Uh, I'll tell you, it is radically different from what he's done for us. Um, it's kind of a it's kind of a punk grunge sort of thing. Uh, they're called Boagrius. It's B O A G R I U S. Boagrius. Uh, so check them out if if you've liked our music here, you want to support Ryan. That is one way you could do that right now. I don't even know what punk grunge means. So we will wait with bated breath for the release of the soundtrack. So uh, do you guys plan the whole season in advance, or do you sort of figure it out as you go? We do both. Yes. Um, and so when we when we started writing the show, we conceived of it as an anthology, so we didn't plan to plan at all. Um, and then once we figured out that Juno was going to be a series, we realized that we were going to have to map something out, which... I think around the, I, I guess it had to be around the time we got to Prince of Mars uh, was when we started. Yeah. No, we had to because that's where we introduced Miasma. Right. And we knew that was where the season was headed. Yes. We didn't know every detail of how it was going to get there. Mm-hmm. And then, but, and, and, and what we've learned is that you can't plan everything out in advance because, right. for example, the fact that we did Angel of Brahma and got into Nereev's whole backstory, mm-hmm. we didn't know we were going to do that when we were on the second story mm-hmm. you know that was something we realized later we wanted to get into right i mean one of the things that happens is that you discover as you're putting individual episodes together problems arise that you never knew were going to happen right so you can you can plan as much as you want but your plan needs to be flexible enough to allow for things to shift around so uh, angel brahm is a really good example where <laughs> i will complain bitterly about this every chance i get there are four separate versions of nereo's backstory that we wrote <laughs> more versions uh, <laughs> Ooh, he's heated uh that are like they have a lot of similarities but like you know uh just like the super one of the similar super super fast versions uh in some of those mag is much more overtly villainous and in all of them except for the one you heard there is no floating city with the super weapon you know (laughs) the entire premise of that backstory (laughs) it's just not there and so part of the reason for that is because uh we wrote an original backstory and you know we were going to send it out to actors and stuff and one of the things that we figured out is just that thematically it made the whole episode a mess. It made the episode about too many things and it was trying to bite off too much and in an outline that's very, very hard to see. Mm-hmm. Whereas mm-hmm. once it was done and we could look at it yeah. and we were like, first off, this episode's way too long. <laughs> and second, it does isn't really about any of the things this season has been about. We very, very quickly had to throw in something else. Mm-hmm. Um, that leads to a situation where a lot of the time either one of us will suddenly advocate for when somebody asks a really interesting question, one of us will suddenly advocate for, let's not answer that right now mm. because we need those blank spaces uh, so that we can, mm-hmm. you know, have wiggle room. In that the being said, it's always Kevin who's saying, let's not answer that right now. <laughs> um, and I'm usually much more excited about diving in, which I, is not correct of me to be clear. <laughs> but in terms of what we do know, because there are a lot of things we do know, mm-hmm. right? Um, there are events in like Juno's past that we know because they've been referenced and things that we know we want to do. Right. right? But and, we don't know everything. And we also have general guiding principles for the characters that help us figure out things about yes. them throughout time. Yes. Right. An important one for me, for Juno, for example, is that I never want to do an origin story for his depression. Uh, Cause that's not, that's not how that works. And that right. drives He's me nuts. Just sad. Right. And, and he so, was gonna be. As a result, no matter what happened, any him, version right? of Juno's past needs to account for that. Right. That he came out, he came out a sad little baby. <laughs> uh, it's just how it is, because that's how that's how it is for some people, right? Yeah. And in the same way, you know, no matter where you look in Nereev's past, there are things that I don't want to say here because I because I want them to be secret. <laughs> uh, but no matter where you look in Nereev's past, there are certain guiding principles that we understand about how he operates and the kinds of things that he would do that help us to write those when they come up. Right. Um, and so to, to give you a sense of like how our planning process works right now. Um, so as of right now, um, just after the first season has ended, right, and we're going to begin releasing the second season in March, where we're at right now in our creation process is we have um, like the first three episodes of season two written. Um, we have a pretty clear outline of the second season as far as both continuous storylines the Juno one and the second Citadel one um, and some 
So, so we know broadly where it's going to go. Um, and we have some specific ideas that we're fitting into place. Um, I will also say that I feel I have a very long-term sense of how the full Juno narrative is going to go, but that could take four seasons or 20, you know, um, and a lot of things could happen in between. And I, you know, can't set it in stone right now because so many things are going to change. So that may never come to pass, but I, it's helpful to me right now to say, well, I think that over the course of the entire Mm -hmm. show, this is where we're going to go. So that's kind of where we are with our planning process right now. Well, and this is, I mean, sort of touched on this, but, uh, uh, will we get to explore more of Juno's past in the upcoming season? You know, not an origin story, but resounding yes. Yes, definitely. Um, whether it's this coming season or later, or perhaps in other forms, um, we will definitely learn more about his past. And again, yeah, it may it may not be in the same way that we got like a full flashback, right. like we did with Nerea, um, but where there's a lot to explore there for yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right, so we are we are running near the end of our time here, but um, one final question. If you could rewrite any line or plot point or character trait, what would it be? Oh, funny you should ask that. Um, well, I think this is a great time to make a soft announcement, which again, mm-hmm. like, we'll, we'll give more information about this as it comes. Um, if we could rewrite one thing, it would be all of Murderous Mask. <laughs> and we're gonna. So, all right. I want to jump right in because I just heard I just heard you panic. Yeah, you not you, Noah. Like yeah. everyone listening went. <gasps> so, but but hang on, because we thought about this a <laughs> no, lot. No, I'm with them. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Don't panic. It's okay. We we hear you. <laughs> yeah. So here's the thing, because I know that like th- that's a place where a lot of people get really invested in this story, um, and it, that story does a lot of very special things for people, right? We know how much it means to you to have the situation where you have. Uh, these two male characters that are grow like increasingly attracted to one another and it, it actually goes somewhere. Right. It's not just a fake out. Right. We get that. Uh, what I'll say is that we know what you like about that episode. Yes. That's not going anywhere. Right. We know what you like about the episode. We know who you like about the episode and what we intend to do is develop those things more and get rid of the stuff that no one has ever cared about. <laughs> Right. Um, that we've never heard a peep about from anybody ever. There are a couple of very large scenes that take up a lot of space, and they distract from a lot of stuff. So mm-hmm. if you're one of the people that has been wanting to hear a lot more from Cecil or Cassandra, or you want to see, or you know, you really like the relationship that Juno has with Rex Glass, as even as opposed to Peter Nureyev, like this is the chance for that. Right. This right? is how we're going to get more of it. Um, we will also say that uh, when we redo it, it won't affect any of the continuity. Um, so if you choose not to listen to it when it comes out, that's okay. It won't affect anything. Um, the, the story may change slightly, but not in a way that will affect anything moving forward. So it, it, it doesn't really matter. Um, and if you're wondering about our reasoning, it's because we truly feel that we have come a very long way in our first season and we no longer feel that um, the that murderous mask as it exists right now, we don't feel that it represents us well. Um, and part of that is in things as simple as the audio quality. Like, that's just not where we are anymore. Like, we know how to make things sound better, and I know how to sound design better. Um, or even to the question from way earlier in this where somebody asked, you know, how do you find actors? Early on, before we had a product to show people and say, how do you want to be a part of oh this? Oh, my gosh. The yeah. answer was, you don't. Right. <laughs> it's really hard. Right. And, and you know, like, I, I play way too many characters in that <laughs> episode. And there have been very legitimate complaints that it's confusing, you know, because you can't tell what character is whom, you know, and that I want to do better than that. Um, and... So there, there are certain things, there are certain concerns that we want to address there, and we want to, we want to represent the show better. 
Um, so we will be rewriting, re-recording, slightly recasting. Don't worry about the recasting. We know what you like. I'll also say... Uh, Noah, you're fired. (laughs) (laughs) Saw that coming. I'll also double down on the don't worry about the rewriting again. We've been, we've been listening. We've been asking. We've been looking around at what people have been saying about that episode. We know what you like about it. Yeah. Our, our goal is really to, is to do leave, more of that. Yeah. Leave the things that you like as undisturbed as possible. Yes. And, you know, carve out some space to do more of that. Yes. So one of the, one of the really great things that we're going to be able to do also uh, is that from our position now where we have so many people we're working with, you know, so, so much more to, to kind of to use draw in terms on, of tools. Yeah. Uh, we're super, super excited about the fact that it's going to have a lot more original music. Yeah, no, the there will be some great new music, um, and and we we're just we're better now, you know, like it's it's gonna be better, I think, in in every aspect of the production, um, and we're really excited to to show it to you. All right, <laughs> uh, thank you, travelers, for sending in all of your questions. Um, I know we couldn't get to all of them today, but thank you. Uh, you know, this Q&A would not have worked without your input. So thank you for uh, staying engaged. We love to hear from you. And, um, and yeah, we're excited to come back soon. Yeah, and we have, a lot, we have a lot of announcements to come. Um, and to the point where I don't even think you should think of the off season as the off season, (laughs) you know, even before the, you know, the regular episodes resume in March, there is a lot to look forward to. And we're very excited to share it with you. You heard it here, folks. Thank you. We will see you soon. Goodbye, dear travelers. Mike Rowe here with a few thoughts on my favorite sweatshirt, a classic zip-up hoodie that used to be navy blue but has since faded to what the fashionistas call a distressed indigo. It's 13 years old, soft as a flannel bathrobe, and after a few hundred dirty jobs, demonstrably and undeniably indestructible. This is the kind of sweatshirt girlfriends like to permanently borrow, but I've held on to this one because I got it from American Giant. American Giant makes all their stuff right here in the USA so they can control every link in their own supply chain. That matters because when you buy American Giant, you not only get great quality, you create jobs for people in factory towns all over the country. No pressure, but if you give a damn about the business of making things in America, you got to support the companies who are doing it right. Go to American-Giant.com slash Mike to get 20% off your first order. That's American-Giant.com slash Mike.